0: You're listening to The Court Leader's Advantage, a podcast series for court professionals and by court professionals. Brought to you by thecourtleader.net in cooperation with NACOM, the National Association for Court Management. Our July Court Leader's Advantage podcast video episode on courts and protest marches has garnered considerable interest. Over 300 viewers have accessed the episode. Among those who watched was Norman Meyer, retired clerk of the U.S. Bankruptcy Court for the District of New Mexico, who wrote in two questions to ask about court employees, protest marches, our First Amendment rights, and the NACAM Model Code of Conduct. Here to ask those questions is Norman, and here to respond is Sarah Brown Clark, elected clerk of the Municipal Court in Youngstown, Ohio, Elisa Chingary, clerk of the Superior Court in Mecklenburg County, North Carolina, and Elizabeth Baldwin, court administrator for the Municipal Court in Seattle, Washington. Sarah, Elisa, and Elizabeth were all panelists on our July episode. Thank you all for returning to this follow-up episode. So, Norman, what is your first question?
1: Thanks, Peter, and thanks to the panelists. It was a great session. Uh, My first question is, the panelists cited these allowable restrictions for their employees attending a protest do not appear to or actually represent oneself as a court employee, for example, don't wear court clothing, do not solicit funds for the cause, and do not get arrested. What specific ethical reasons or conduct provisions do you have for these restrictions on what the employee is doing on their own time? In other words, why are these restrictions justified?
0: Alisa, let's start with you. What do you think?
2: Well, in my commentary in July, answering those questions, I did not refer to them as restrictions, simply as factors that should be balanced when an employee makes a decision in protesting. Why do I believe that they are factors that should be weighed? I do believe that the speech of employees, public employees, governmental employees is protected under the First Amendment, but I also believe that there's a balance. There is a balance against the purpose and the functionality of the system in which they work. And for the judicial branch, we do have other matters that guide employee conduct. We have rules of professional conduct. We have codes of conduct. And so those factors are things that I suggested should be weighed. So, for example, when someone is arrested, that's often confrontational. We discuss the possibility of it leading to greater violence. There are standards by which the behavior of any governmental employee uh, should be looked upon. There is the responsibility of carrying oneself with dignity in how they represent their courts. And I too am of the belief that I'm not a court employee from 9 to 5 or 8 to 5. I believe that my oath of office and that of my employees uh, makes them an officer of the court 24-7. And that means that their conduct uh, during their time away from the courthouse is important in upholding public trust and confidence of the courts.
0: Sarah, how would you respond?
2: Well, I would agree that
3: we're talking about considerations, not restrictions. And I think in many instances, when court employees are initially hired, um, we talk to them about the public perception of the courts and their representation because they are employees of the court. In many instances, there are hiring documents that include the responsibility of the court employee to exercise good judgment as it relates to actions that would reflect on the court. I don't think of these as restrictions. I think of these kind of similar to medical personnel who may work in a hospital, but are obligated to maintain an impartial position. And I think as it relates to procedures and not to publicly take sides. And I think that one of the problems that we considered when we were discussing this is the perception that a court employee might be perceived to be taking sides in an issue that might come before the court. So I think what we're talking about here basically is exercising good judgment and, of course, the employment documents. I don't see it as a restriction, and I don't see it as a violation of one's freedom of speech.
0: Elizabeth, what do you think?
4: I agree with the statements made by the other two panelists. Again, I was thinking of this as advice, not hard and fast commands, the things I would want somebody to think about as they go forward and decide what they want to do. For a little other nuances, when we talk about like representing yourself as a court employee, If you are wearing clothes or represent yourself as that and you are uh, interviewed by the media, it may be interpreted by some that you're speaking on behalf of the court. And there are certain people at the court, at least at my court, who that's their job, the communications officers. And so that could become a problem depending on what is said. I would also like on the soliciting of funds, it's a little nuanced, but we have a ethics rule in the city that you should not, you can't collect funds related to a campaign or a ballot issue. And my advice would be to be careful about that because if somebody ends up who's a leader in a protest uh, decides to uh, run for office, there could be a connection there if some of the money you possibly collected was used for that campaign, or if it was for like a ballot initiative. And so it's just to be careful. I wouldn't do it, but really think about it. And then, as far as getting arrested, the other thing that I would add is in our court, our employees, many of them have access to criminal information that you were required. There's a security clearance and there's training and everything that you have to do. And to maintain your security, credentials. If you are arrested, you're required to disclose that to your manager. And depending on what, if you end up, yeah, arrested, charged and convicted of it, it could jeopardize your ability to have access to that criminal information as determined by, in in our state, the Washington State Patrol. So those are the little, the kind of the nuances that I would also add to the discussion. And I'm assuming other states and counties and cities have some similar issues and rules.
3: May I add something? I am from a smaller community. I mean, when you start talking about Charlotte and Seattle, you're talking about larger communities. And so I think to some extent this is relative. In a community the size of mine, people know who works in the court. And as a consequence, they see them as representing the court. So it really becomes more of a public perception of the courts being neutral in a smaller community where individuals who participate will be perceived, knowing that they work for the court, will be perceived as representing the court, even if they don't have on court t-shirts or whatever. So I think the size of the community is a factor in how this is interpreted.
0: Norman, what is your second question?
1: Okay, well, I'm going to modify it a little bit based upon what, what was just been said. So it seems like at least in a couple of years regards that you don't view some of the things you've cited as being restrictions and that they're aspirational things that a code of conduct wants you to consider in your behaviors. I find that to be splitting hairs a little bit. If you don't want somebody to wear court clothing out there because you don't want the perception of impartiality to be impugned in some fashion. That, to me, is restricting their behaviors. So my second question relates to the free speech. So what about an employee's right to free speech that the panelist said was paramount? At the beginning of the podcast, that was said over and over again. I think that you are putting out some requirements, restrictions, whatever you want to, to say, but that doesn't jive with the First Amendment's right to say what you want at your own time. If it's just aspirational, then you can do whatever you want to do. But yet you are saying that there are things you don't want your to do, which seems to be a restriction and an and abrogation of the First Amendment.
0: Sarah, what do you think?
3: I think Norman brings up some very valid points, but I think the bottom line is as court employees, we're concerned about the public perception of the court. And if we're going to split hairs, let me say it like this. If you choose to speak in support or in opposition to an issue, and you feel that it's your right to do so, you should preface your comments by saying that you are speaking as an individual. And I think that's pretty critical. If you're participating in a demonstration, you should make it very clear that you're participating as an individual. But you also have to honor your employment agreement. And if your agreement stipulates that you must be very cautious and exercise good judgment as to your actions that might reflect on the court, then it really becomes a value judgment, or or as you're saying, aspirational.
0: Elizabeth, how do you respond?
4: I would respectfully disagree with Norman on whether advice is a restriction. As I think about ethics rules, ethics were so easy to figure out and you knew where the line was and where you know what to do like a bright light shined on it that would be a very interesting place to be but ethics rules aren't like that and i think if we look around uh well i'm just going to stop there on that comment but they're just not bright lines and what you choose to do and how you choose to speak or how you choose to walk up towards an ethics advisement or an ethics rule, sometimes there are consequences for when you go over the line or if mm-hmm. you're pose right up to the line. Right. And I would want an employee, when they come to me for advice, to know where I think that line is and what the consequences might be if they go over it. And then there's a whole process for ethics violations and and things like that. But I guess that would be my response.
0: Elisa, what are your thoughts?
2: I am not of the belief that it's an absolute. I believe that one of the very first Supreme Court decisions used the word balance. And I would advise my employees to balance these other factors. I have, through most of my tenure as an attorney and court administrator and now an elected clerk, participated in different advocacy projects to better my community, to better our governance of the judicial branch. But I have done all of that with balance, knowing that I am representing the behavior and the professionalism of my profession and the court. I like the use of the term
3: balance. I think it's really important, and I know that the purpose of the questions is to stimulate our thoughts as it relates to this, but I think balance and good judgment are the critical components of any decision any court employee would make prior to engaging in a demonstration, particularly one that might end up in court.
4: And, and I would just add an employee of a judicial branch or a court does not give up their rights to First Amendment freedom of speech. However, we I think we all recognize that freedom of speech isn't a unfettered right that you can say anything you want in our country. Sometimes there are consequences. There's the the famous case where if you yell fire in a crowded theater, there may be consequences. But you have a right to say it. Nobody's going to zip your mouth shut. But you have to think about it. And and I love that word balance. You have to balance your freedom to speak with how it affects others and how you want to represent yourself. And so I just wanted to add
0: that. My thanks to Norman for sending in his question and to Elisa, Sarah, and Elizabeth for responding. Remember, if you have a question about this or any episode, Email us at CLA Podcast, that's all one word, at NACOMnet.org. In most cases, we'll answer your question at the end of a future episode. Additional resources for this episode are available on the NACOM CLA Podcast landing page, including the 2017 opinion of the Massachusetts Supreme Judicial Court on attendance at the Women's March, the 2018 Arizona Supreme Court Judicial Ethics Advisory Committee opinion, on Judges and Judicial Employees Participating in Marches, Rallies, and Protests, the 2020 paper by Cynthia Gray, Director of the National Center for State Court's Center for Judicial Ethics, titled, Judicial Participation in Marches and Other Issue-Related Community Events, and the 2020 California Supreme Court Committee on Judicial Ethics Opinion on Judicial Participation in Public Demonstrations and Rallies. This has been the Court Leaders Advantage podcast series. Today's episode is available on the NACUM podcast landing page in both video and audio format. Be sure to catch our next episode, which will release on Thursday, November 19th. Until then, I'm Pete Kiefer, and thanks for listening. Thanks for joining us today. The Court Leader's Advantage is a regular podcast on courts and court administration. Today's episode will be available on the NACAN website in both a video and audio format. It will also be available on YouTube, on Facebook, and on Twitter. If you have questions, comments, or ideas for future episodes, email us. Our address is cla podcast. that's all one word, at nacamnet.org. I'm Pete Kiefer, and on behalf of our guests, the Court Leader website, and the National Association for Court Management, have a great day. The views, information, and opinions expressed during this episode are solely those of the host and the individual panelists. They do not necessarily represent the position of the National Association for Court Management.